At America's founding, the freedom of religion was enshrined in our Constitution through the Bill of Rights. Ever since then, Americans have taken religious liberty as a given. But should we? Today we'll explore the current state of religious liberty in America with Mary Rice Hassan. Mary Rice Hassan is a fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville. And today we're talking about religious liberty. We are joined by a regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin. It's nice to have you back, Dr. Martin, and Dr. Scott Hahn. So a blessing to be with them. But we have the great honor of this today to be able to welcome Mary Rice Hassan. Mary's the Cato Byrne Fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. That's a mouthful, but I think I got most of it. <laughs> you did. She also directs Catholic Women's Forum, which is a network of Catholic professional women and scholars. She is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and the University of Notre Dame Law School. Mary is also a consultant to the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops of Lady, Marriage, Family, and Life, and Youth. Welcome. Thank you. It's so it's great to have you. To it's really, here. really great to have yeah. you here. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, maybe just beginning, uh, Religious Liberty. What got you interested? Why does that particularly matter now? So. Yeah, well, I got interested in it because from the time I was a child, I saw my dad mostly um, involved in both matters of public policy, but matters of conscience, particularly mm -hmm. the abortion issue, um, contraception, and, and looking at, at how faith matters in the public square. So, so even as a, a high school student, a college you, student, it was something that, that. yeah. And, and then going to law school, it was, a, it was a strong interest. And there I met my husband, um, Kevin Seamus, his nickname mm -hmm. is Seamus Hassan, who um, had a strong interest in religious liberty and ended up going on uh, to start the Beckett Fund okay. uh, for Religious Liberty, which has handled a lot of the key cases that we're seeing right. now. Right, and um, when you think, kind of take a look at the landscape, where are we with the whole, and maybe, yeah, misconceptions, where are we with religious yeah. liberty, what should we be thinking about, things like that. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting uh, to realize is when, for example, when he started the Beckett Fund about 25 years ago, the key um, issues or conflicts in the culture were things like, can you have a nativity set right. in the public square? Oh my, those days were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and. He, even he was responding to God's call, but not necessarily with a sense of how far um, downstream things would sure. become. And so what we're seeing now is not just challenges to religious liberty, but even the idea of religious liberty, even though it's protected in the First Amendment sure. and it's, it's a fundamental right and, and it, it's a right that comes from God, but people questioning why religious liberty? How about there? How about just uh, give us uh, your working definition of religious liberty? When, when we hear that, what should it evoke? What should we know? 
first of all, just to realize it doesn't come from the state. Yeah, yeah. You know, religious liberty comes out of the fact that as human beings, we're, we're created by God, and that religious impulse is, is built into us. And so it, our duty to God comes first. And even sure. James Madison, you know, wrote about that in, in the founding um, era. Yeah, sure. and, and he was saying, you have to make room for and acknowledge that the person's duty to the Creator comes before the duty to the state. And so the state needs to recognize there's a sphere that's not, the state cannot compel action. And that's the sphere of conscience right, right. and religious freedom. You know, another key point is to see that it's gone downstream a whole lot in the last 25 years, but it seems to either be getting close to the waterfall or plunging <laughs> downward because the, the freedom of religion, you know, is one thing. But I think Here's what I want to say is that the freedom of religion has become the freedom from religion yeah. in the public square. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the process, the freedom to worship has largely privatized this right. And mm -hmm. so the presumption that this is a grant from the state is so universal. Uh, mm -hmm. It's sort of the air they're breathing in D.C., I suspect, when right. in fact that right comes from above, right. as you say. It comes like, from God because all of us belong to Him before we belong to the exactly. state. Exactly, and, and that's a lost concept, I think, or yeah. something that uh, on a public level. Well, we have lost more than yeah. concepts here. Yeah. I, I'd like to pick up yeah. from Scott's image, this metaphor of the waterfall. Mm. I, I think we have pretty much gone over the cataract. And maybe this sounds a bit apocalyptic, but in the old days, we had these quaint controversies about whether you can show a nativity scene mm -hmm. in the village square. Yeah. Now, are you even able to say the word Christmas? I mean, it's got to be Sparkle Day or you get arrested. The thought police are coming for you. So your job, it seems but to I, me, is pretty challenging. Yeah, and I think what you or, said is, is fundamentally true, is that, that God is... Well, who grants us these religious liberties. And yet, if you take that out of the equation, something has to fill that void. And there's been a whole population of people that allows the government to do that for us. Yeah, and I think that's an important insight because what we've seen over the past 20 years and 30 years is just such a decline in religiosity. It used to be about 8 out of 10 um, people in America considered themselves Christian, you know, or at least believers of some sort. Now it's down to about 60. Mm -hmm. But in the younger generation, it's about 40%. Sure, sure. So what that means is, as a culture, there is less and less shared experience about the importance of religion. And in fact, I was talking to a young woman two nights ago who was telling me she's in her 20s. And she was saying, out of my friend circle, I have one other yeah. person who's religious. Sure. So to that, that growing number, particularly of young people who have no personal experience of faith, this idea of religious liberty uh, is something that it doesn't necessarily resonate. What's conscience? That's your opinion. It's not, mm -hmm. and, you know. Mm -hmm. And even those who practice religion mm -hmm. prefer not to speak of it as mm -hmm. religion. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. for the last 10 or 15 years, it's been common, especially among, you know, Generation X, Y, and Z, or I've lost count, but uh, that I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm right. not religious. Not and so yeah. they're almost complicit in the privatizing of religion mm -hmm. and in the relativization, so that there really yeah. is a kind of relativism <laughs> that it's the marketplace of spirituality and not even denomination. Right, anymore. right. I, I wonder if we could precise uh, this phenomenon a, mm -hmm. a little more. This, this notion of uh, unbelief, atheism. Mm -hmm. 
Is it just the absence of a belief in God, or is it a more active, articulate disbelief of and and an attempt to uh, eradicate any evidence of of God, like all of the glints of God's glory? I mean, we used to think they were strewn about the world, but now we have sort of systematically collected them and and consigned them to uh, the dustbin of history, and people are considered benighted if they express some pious yeah. sentiment. Is that where we are right yeah, now? Yeah, because I think one of the things that has happened is that, say, 20, 30 years ago, even people who were not religious would agree pretty much with the idea that it was good to be religious or religious organizations do good things in society. But I can tell you, at least among sort of the elite law, legal, legal scholars and things, there is a sense of why religious liberty. Right, you know, right. the, the religious right. organizations don't necessarily, we don't need them, the government can do it. You know, right? that idea that, that religion is irrelevant mm -hmm. has become religion is dangerous. Yes, yeah, exactly. In the public square, yeah. especially That's, keep it to yourself, mm -hmm. you know, but you bring it out. We've, we've, come, we've come a long way from the classical liberal tradition, which I think somebody like Voltaire championed, who, who would say, you know, I disagree with what you believe, but I would mm -hmm. defend to the death your right to believe it. We don't share that anymore. No, and I, I think one of the things that we see, and if you read news, sort of the popular news uh, and CNN headlines and things like that, you'll see religious liberty put in quotation marks. Right. In other words, this is what they call it. Right. It's not their it's <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, or, or, or it's yeah. rephrased as religious refusal. In other words, out of your religious belief, you're refusing to grant someone mm. their civil rights. So it's even being portrayed yeah. just in the narrative and the language that's used in a way that's very negative. No, think of I, how that imprints someone who has no experience. And I think your point as well, as well as that is important is that for the longest time I think religion was seen as part of the solution in the mm. 50s, right? Mm -hmm. part of the solution. You begin to see that I think wane in the 60s and now it's the problem. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. I, well, I went but, to a March for Life a number of years ago that a woman had this, but she was not pro-life, had this poster that said if Mary would have gotten an abortion we wouldn't have this problem, right? So th mm. that they see religion, and, and there's all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Unfortunately, some of this we brought on ourselves with the scandal. Yeah, sure. But we're the problem. So now, if we can be eradicated and moved out, then and that's there's a concerted effort, I believe. For yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I think what you're doing is an essential part of the new evangelization, mm -hmm. but more in terms of stealth, I suppose. You know, mm -hmm. and using the American system. But it, how, it, I said this before we we started the show, but I want to say it now too that it feels a little bit like Operation Dunkirk. You know that we're fighting a rearguard action. We're, we're not just getting you know, an evacuation with the, uh, the fleet of naval, mm -hmm. and we're, we're using trawlers, we're doing whatever we can. Yeah. You know? But as we, as we cobble that fleet together to get to evacuate, we're not trying to leave America. We're mm -hmm. really trying to leave that part of it that is so overtaken, that is uh, just, you know, <laughs> Hitler's troops just stormed these countries. And, but we have to recognize that we're not evacuating so much as we are regrouping and mm -hmm. thinking up new strategies because the fact is you have to do what you can. You have to work with what you've got. And so we can decry this new, you know, I call it the new devangelization. You know, yeah. if the new evangelization is re-evangelizing the de-Christianized, they want to de-Christianize. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's so obvious now 
But what isn't obvious is the need to develop new strategies. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where your work plays a really important part. Yeah, but you know, you raise a really important point that you cannot, as believers, you cannot separate the idea of religious liberty from evangelism. Right. Because one of the reasons why we're in this pickle, so to speak, is that as religion has become invisible, mm -hmm. and as believers sought to assimilate and look like everyone else, and not express exactly their faith, you, you've had this vacuum. And so this religious liberty litigation can only sort of carve out spaces and, and create some protection. But to change things, we need like, believers you know, to evangelize. Yeah, you, uh, let, let me sound like Debbie Downer uh, for just a moment. <laughs> Feel free. It's not difficult, okay. <laughs> it's, it's not a big Plenty, step. plenty of, yeah, uh, flatter. Scott's image of, of Dunkirk, at one level, it is a bloody disaster, a devastation. Mm -hmm. But there is good news about Dunkirk if you happen to be British, mm -hmm. and it's 1941, and you go back to Britain, and there is Churchill to yeah. rally uh, yeah. the, the team, and the reserves of British spirit, a spirit of resistance, heroic resistance yeah. uh, to the onslaught of Adolf Hitler. Where are the Winston Churchills uh, in the present moment? Among the bishops, uh, can you name several? I, I well, don't think so. I, I think we're going to see more of that because I, I think we're at a pivot point, having you know a president who professes to be Catholic and yet is taking public policy steps that are not only hostile to religious liberty, but hostile to basic human dignity and values, the, the abortion things. And so I think that has, has been a catalyst, or I'm hoping it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm starting to see some signs that there will be more bishops speaking out, because uh, if you don't now, when? Mm -hmm. When will right. you? Right. You know? yeah. so, wow. Yeah. Is there any constraints of religious liberty in the government and, and yeah, how do you kind of navigate those waters? Yeah, so it's not that religious liberty, even though religious liberty, uh, our right to worship God is, is something independent of the state in a um, free society, there are times when the state is going to have to regulate some things. So, for example, in the beginning of the COVID situation, it was reasonable when nobody knew the extent of this pandemic right. for the state to say, look, everyone's got to stay home for two weeks or whatever, and for churches to cooperate with that. But as Justice Alito said last fall, you know, after months and months and months, you can't just continue to repress what is a fundamental right. Yeah. And so the state has, has the right to impose some limits, mm -hmm. but not to eradicate it, not to penalize it, not to punish it, no. not to condition benefits on your, your willingness to forego it. So there are, even within our legal jurisprudence, there's yeah. limits on what it, the state It, it seems to be that distinctions can very easily be drawn. I mean, there's a reasonable restriction. If the practice of your religion requires you to eat your neighbor, cannibalism <laughs> really We're not is in favor of that. <laughs> but suppose you eat Jesus in the mm -hmm. Eucharist and the state finds that offensive and they yeah. move against you. Who's going to resist that? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's a challenge to all of us, yeah. right? Because that was one of the things that, that I thought as I looked at the whole COVID thing, and particularly in the fall, as, as some of these repressive um, governmental edicts were still on, it was like, where's the outcry? Sure. Where I mean, you shutter churches yeah. month after month mm -hmm. after month, and people go without the Eucharist, and they yeah. sort of come to terms with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Italy, there was way back uh, Antonio Gramsci, and Gramsci was uh, like Sololinsky was mm -hmm. in Chicago. And he knew Catholicism, and he recognized that secularism and Marxism in particular, these 
are religions. Yeah. And they're meant to displace that which is antiquated and useless, you know. He recognizes the masses have imbued this, you know, and so it's really hard to uproot it. Uh, he was so self-consciously Marxist, but also anti-Catholic. His influence has been very widespread. Yeah. We, we don't know the name so much, but I've been studying him recently mm -hmm. and realizing that there are a number of American counterparts. And so we also have to do, in our higher education, close mm. study of mm -hmm. what is going on. You know, mm -hmm. we flipped in 2020 to an entirely new level of battle. Yeah. And we have to be more subtle, but we also have to be more effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very definitely. We need to be strategic. Right, yeah. right. Oh. And I think that by, like you said, that being like shining the light on this, because I don't even know that everyone re recognizes that it's been shifted. Right. And, and there are some people, yeah, let's wait to the next second okay. to get in this, because there are some people that think that, that this is an opportunity for the good, and I think ultimately it's gonna be a great struggle for us in the future. So we have a lot more to say about this, so stay with us in Franciscan University Presents. I think our society today has a profound misunderstanding of religious liberty. They're trying to subjugate it just to the private sphere, but it deserves a place in the public sphere because our faith is supposed to transform every aspect of our life, all of the decisions that we make. And so it's very important that we fight in all spheres of society uh, for religious liberty. During my time here at Franciscan, I've been a part of the Center for Leadership. And as part of my studies, we discussed the Founding Fathers and there we talked about religious liberty and how fundamental it is to our everyday life because of the sacrifices that our founding fathers made to come to this country and establish these principles. So for that reason, it's so important to maintain religious liberty so that we don't do away with our sacrifice. We become members of a family that originates in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but that Holy Spirit overshadows the Blessed Virgin, so we become her children as well. People knew that when the Messiah came, that this promise would call them as a covenant people to be what? A light to the nations. And everybody is invited to walk through that door of mercy. The only key we need is the one that each one of us has, that it is my sin that opens up the mercy of God, amen? Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're speaking about religious liberty with Mary Rice Hassan. Uh, the pandemic has presented us some interesting, interesting dilemmas with this whole issue. Thoughts and reflections about it? Yeah, a couple of things. One, I was reading a, um, uh, an article in a medical journal by a physician who happened to be a Christian, and he was speaking to his fellow physicians who were, many of them saying, why are people going to church? Why, why is this so important? And he was saying one of the reasons that they were not getting it and, and they were not appreciating the good and the reason why people needed to gather and to worship together was because they viewed religion as a hobby, but they also didn't understand what people do. So he had a, a quote that uh, uh, in talking with some of his, his fellow doctors that they seem to think that when people go to church, all they do is sway and wave and <laughs> sing and why can't, why doesn't video suffice? And I think that's, that's a misperception, particularly for us Catholics, and, and our governor in Virginia said a similar thing when he, in December, was imposing more restrictions. He said, video is just the same, virtual is just the same, but 
As because Catholics, this idea we know that that's God not is true. out there, so we can encounter Him anywhere. Yeah, right, is, right. Missing the whole point of the real presence. The sacramentality of our faith yeah. precludes that entirely. Mm-hmm. There's a physical side to being spiritual that is not non-essential. Right. You know? But there's also a social and a political side right. to being spiritual, and I think that's what Catholics have to rediscover. Mm-hmm. On this side of COVID and the presidential election, we're bewildered. You know, yeah. and we had a strategy that worked for about 20 to 30 years, except that it didn't. Yeah. It was just learning how to lose more slowly. Now we're learning, you know, we have to learn how to, to lose, but then counterattack in a way that is, again, stealthy. But I, I, I do believe that, you know, when I listen to people like Tucker Carlson, you know, at, at one point my heart might leap, but at another level I'm saying, you know what? You know, you're trying to fight liberalism, run amok, but this is no longer liberalism. Yeah. Uh, this is post-liberalism. This is critical social theory, critical gender mm-hmm. theory. And you don't, we don't even know what the Frankfurt School launched in this neo-Marxist approach that has nothing yeah. to do with Karl Marx saying, workers of the world unite, you have right. nothing to lose but your chains. I mean, this is a new form of morphed Marxism mm-hmm. that is weaponizing gender, weaponizing race. And we've got to go back. I mean, we've got to do whatever we can to get to work, get home, raise our families, mm-hmm. but also get the next generation equipped to understand what Habrox was doing or what mm-hmm. uh, you know Adorno and all of the other figures in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, because I'm sort of going back to college right now as a professor and mm-hmm. retooling and thinking, my goodness, we have got a major which long-term is, strategy. And I will just say, which again, this is gonna be a plug for us, but what we're doing at Francis University is more important than ever. Amen. Is that we've got a population of, of young people that are coming out and they're just being indoctrinated yeah. with this. And they don't even they don't even know. They don't even know. I mean they, they want to be nice. Mm-hmm. They don't the mm-hmm. whole I'm gonna get on a bully. <laughs> is that good? Go ahead. But the whole bully issue the whole bully issue, particularly in California, how that's being presented is is all about the, the homosexuality and transgendered mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. And it's about what people feel, not necessarily what's right or what's true and good. And so what we're doing here is profoundly. Your question about where's the church, I wasn't exactly sure where you're going, but go to our chapel when when it's full, four times a day. These are the kids that are going to come out of this and make a difference. But there, there is the sense that they have to be deprogrammed because yeah. everywhere it's coming out. Yeah. And retooled. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I think an important part of that is realizing what the public school system has done. 85% of Catholics, it used to be 90% before the COVID thing, we've gained some people back, but 85% of Catholic kids go through public schools and it's not the public schools of even 10 years ago, and certainly not 20 years ago. But what it's doing, because God's erased from that environment, you're conditioning kids and habituating kids to thinking God doesn't matter when you're looking at the universe, when you're discussing the the big questions. God's irrelevant to those conversations. Yeah, that was the prediction that Nietzsche made, that it was as if uh, a uh, an eraser uh, had Mm. been wiping the sky of God, uh, simply vaporizing. Mm all evidence of uh, the sacred, the transcendent. It, it, it seems to me that we do have to go back to the right books, mm-hmm. but we have to go back to bedrock, which means mm-hmm. we have to go back to Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he says, without me, you can do nothing. I, I don't think that's, an, that's a metaphor, yeah, yeah, right, a piece right. of right. hyperbole. He, he means it literally. <laughs> We're watching it. You, you need to go back to the Eucharist and, mm-hmm. and you can't you can't celebrate it virtually any more than you can go to confession over the phone or make love to your wife uh, uh, on, on a smartphone. Right. 
Uh, George Weigel made a wonderful point the other day. He said, the Eucharist is not something Catholics do. It's mm. what Catholics are. Yeah. It's, it's the most singular embodiment of who we are. How can you do that uh, yeah. uh, 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 virtually? But I, I think, you know, what you're saying and, and your reference to the Marxism of the past, I mean, I think a lot of our young people have, have implicitly bought into the idea that we're simply material beings. Mm -hmm. and Or if we're spiritual, that means psychological. Mm -hmm. And so you look at this crisis of suicide and, and kids looking, and I say kids, they're younger than I am, so they're kids, but, you know, young people looking for meaning, and yet, they don't know to look for God. And so that's where we have to come in because what we have, mm -hmm. God himself mm -hmm. and the truth and the, the teachings of the church, that's what people are looking for, but they don't know it because their, their conception even of who they are doesn't really make room for that. And that may be less typical of a Franciscan student, but even among sort of the, the Catholic kids, culturally Catholic kids mm -hmm. that, that I encounter, They've bought into the premises. Who's the authority in life? Well, it's Google, right? Yeah. It's that's that's the Wikipedia. ultimate, yeah. right? It's not God, and so understanding first who you are. I'm a creature, yeah. and and God's got something to say about who I am and how I should live. Yeah. That's that's kind of the basic. Yeah, thing. I think that the more we live our our faith defensively or reactionarily, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the more we inadvertently empower those people yeah. who would like to eradicate it entirely, mm -hmm. and so. Here again, you know, I'm always reminded of Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength, mm -hmm. or Paul in prison writing to mm -hmm. the Philippians, mm -hmm. rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, we have got to help them and ourselves rediscover that joy. Mm -hmm. That, And it's not just pie in the sky, it is that and beyond. But at the same time, it is a, it is a way of facing opposition and recognizing, you know, we have it bad, but other Catholics, our forebears, had it much worse. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And they sowed the seed that brought about the, the kingship of Christ in various yeah. ways, and so let's not give up. Right, yeah. right. You know, yeah. e even social science data, there's been a couple of studies that have come out in, in the COVID era, and they've been surprised to discover, and we wouldn't be surprised, that people of faith have weathered the crisis better, they're more resilient, not because they don't suffer maybe depression or whatever, sure, sure. but because they realize that maybe from the outset, we don't have to control everything yeah, in our lives. And there, there's a God who loves us, who we can trust. You know, even if you bracket the question, is there a God, uh, because it's so confrontational, uh, you're still left with the mystery. I, I, I'm a being made to believe. Well, what am I going to believe? Joe Biden uh, or maybe uh, the beatific vision? You've got to choose. The choices are pretty, pretty sundering. And if the state, if society makes no provision for the question, what is the meaning of everything? Who am I? Why am I here? What's the meaning of my suffering? If there's no answer, then why not slit your throat? Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing to young people. We're giving them nihilism. And that's not very nourishing. You know, you said something that I think is important, and that is we've got to get to bedrock. You know, mm -hmm. it's one thing to study Haberwachs or uh, Jürgen Habermas and these guys, and I, I'm, I'm seeing the need for that. But the great books, Sacred mm -hmm. Scripture, Augustine, mm -hmm. and that's, again, why mm -hmm. a place like this is, again, essential. Mm -hmm. And this... Uh, but also, real quick, to yeah. do that in relationship, that, that it's not just go online and read it on Kindle, yeah, but to right. do it where you can discuss and, and learn and open and be challenged as well. But that 
that process again, going back yeah. to the pandemic, coming together yeah. is transformative to be able to do that together. You know, I, I remember Nori Clark, the Jesuit philosopher, when he came here for sabbatical, his Jesuit confers were astonished because he'd been at Georgetown and Fordham. And I, I drove him down to the Jesuit residence one day and he had just come from noon mass and he said, I get it, I finally get it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, these students probably don't have scores as high as they do at Georgetown or Fordham but they have the Eucharist. And when I was at noon mass, I saw my students and I can see why they're opening up to eternity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's why the discussions in our seminars are so lively. And I, he yeah. just put his finger yeah. right on it. Yeah. But I think part of it, and maybe you can speak to this, Mary, that I, there, there's almost this sense of, can we make a difference? I mean, when we take a look at these major, we'll talk next section about some of the major social issues, but religious liberty, what can an individual do to impact this? Evangelization, yes, but is there something more practically that they can do for this particular topic in, in defending this? Uh, there's a lot, okay. there's a lot. I think the, the primary thing that every person can do is to live your faith authentically. You know, authenticity is a big word, especially for, for young people, but mm -hmm. how often do we hide it? How often do we not tell people, you know, we're going to mass, where yeah. we say, oh, I've got an appointment or mm -hmm. whatever. Living our faith authentically and openly without apology and it, letting people know that there's something good here. So I was having a conversation with another um, young man, an attorney who was telling me he has a, a Jewish friend, Jewish, um, sort of ethnically Jewish, but he's not, not a spiritual guy, who said to him during the course of the pandemic, he said, you know, I have a sense that it's easier for someone like you because you've got a worldview mm -hmm. that makes a difference. And so that's an opening. Yeah, you know, sure. when you see people hurting, when people are looking for meaning and, and questioning, that's that's an opening yeah. to say, you know. Yeah, that, that word, uh, authenticity, I mean, it mm -hmm. can be a buzzword. Mm -hmm. It can be trivialized uh, mm -hmm. and, and debased even, but it's genuine, it matters. It, it bespeaks a certain involvement, engage with life, live the real, uh, mm -hmm. as uh, Giussani mm -hmm. says. D don't skim across the surface, hover mm -hmm. above uh, the void, but plunge deep down to the very bottom, be passionate. You know, you you're on this stage, this is the theater of your life. Yeah. You, you know, there are certain lines that you need to learn. You need to speak them with conviction. Yeah. Those are the people who will obtain yeah. the truth. Yeah, yeah. And to that, that, that the, what we're doing, this authenticity is attractive, that people are mm -hmm. on the outside, they see that there's something different about us, they begin to ask the questions and then we invite mm -hmm. them into something different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you care to comment on this, this idea of separation of church and state is a good thing, is a bad thing. It seems like now mm -hmm. it's, wh where is this per person supposed to even come down on that? So first of all, that phrase, separation yep. of church and state is not in the Constitution. Nowhere. It's, Nowhere. You know, it was in the, in the writings of, of uh, one of our founding fathers, but, but that doesn't, it, but that's how people sort of um, right. conceptualize how Americans should deal with faith, that it's, it's something separate and we need to push back against that. And, and in reality, it, that was just, that, that was a writing, but that was not even how people lived back then. Absolutely. Plus, I right? think it's now become separation of religion and from, state. Mm -hmm. From state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so as the state just opens up and starts to take on almost all of the public right. square. You know, religion is not just being privatized and relativized. It really is, you know, the churches are going to be perceived increasingly by secularists as a kind of enemy. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I think we recognize that and we shouldn't give in to paranoia, you mm -hmm. know, 
But at the same time, we should recognize that living holiness is not something that we have to do in isolation. I can't want holiness for myself, but not my wife. That's right. absurd. I can't right. want you know. I can't want it for her and me, but not our kids. You know, I can't want holiness just for my family, but not other families. Mm -hmm. Not my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Well, my neighborhood, but not the town of Steubenville. Mm -hmm. Well, the town, or but those not people. Ohio. Or yeah. Those people and, I mean, the fact is. The Great Commission, you know, is why we're here, mm -hmm. to make disciples of all nations and joyful disciples, but, but living it in a way that is so aware of the opposition and at the same time recognizing that the victory has been won. And that isn't yeah. just religious rhetoric. That is the real, yeah. you know, living but the real. I think we get put on the defensive. Hey, and I, I think of the phrase that I've heard um, President Biden used to justify his decisions, which is, I'm not going to impose my religious beliefs right. on anyone else. And, you know, the, the things that matter in the public square, dignity of life, protecting innocent life, those, those are well, not... Well, and the humanity of the unborn the, child it, is not a religious... Right. It, and there is a, a great deal of to science. say about this, and we're going to pick this up. Okay. <laughs> so stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Through uh, philosophy leading into natural theology, we're able to recognize that man is a created being and thus as a created being owes worship to our creator. Viktor Frankl, a uh, famous captive in Nazi prison camps, uh, when all else had been stripped away from him and he was absolutely being maligned on a daily basis, could still decide within himself his response. He had that at his very core. And what more is religion than our response to our creation? What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we, we record in the ComArts studio here at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment, and members of our theology faculty, Dr. Regis Martin and Dr. Scott Hahn, and I are discussing religious liberty with Mary Rice Hassan. You left the last section about talking about personally opposed, but I don't want to put that on anybody else that we hear from politicians. Yeah, that's a refrain we hear all the time. I'm personally opposed, and, and I remember being a student at Notre Dame when Mario Cuomo came and made sort of the, the landmark speech, gave the landmark speech of setting that out there, that he as a politician was saying, well, I'm a Catholic, but I'm, I may be personally opposed to abortion, but I'm not going to impose my beliefs on others. And so with that speech, he sort of put out there this idea that there's a split, yeah. that how we are in the public square is somehow different from who we are as human beings and religious yeah. people. And it, it also um, was such a, an abdication of leadership, right? right. Because yeah. you think yeah. of Lincoln yeah. or, or anyone who you see in evil, your job as a leader is not to say, well, I'm personally opposed but to that. Can I just say, I think it's honest. It's not honest. Don't you think? It's I mean, not. it's fundamentally 
not, they're not being honest. Mm -hmm. Well, it does a kind of violence to the human soul. Mm -hmm. you, you have to live a schizophrenic life, mm -hmm. public mm -hmm. versus private. You can't sustain that. It's untenable. Well, yeah, but we've come a long way since Mario yeah. Cuomo. I mean, look at his son, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not only is personally in favor of abortion, yeah. but he regards yeah, it as a honest. kind of sacrament. It's consecrated. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those instances where life is becoming theater. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm, I'm reminded of that line, you know, you know I'm not going to impose it upon other people. Well, our current president doesn't even impose it upon himself. Mm -hmm. You know, when he joyfully celebrates and presides at, 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 a, at a gay wedding, um, you know, he's making a statement, not that he's going to refuse to impose it upon other people, but clearly he doesn't internalize this. This is all part of his character on stage, right. I think. And I'm not judging his heart. I can't. Right. But at the same time, you can't, rec you, you can't help but recognize that there is a consistent pattern through sure. 47, almost 50 years of political sure. service. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, and I think it's also a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of law. There's some laws yes. that are, are making arbitrary judgments about things like should red mean stop or should it mean go? You know, Look. stop at the red light. Yeah. But there are others that have to do with the truth of the person and what's moral, what's good. And so law is about morality. That's right, it's pedagogical. It, it is making decisions all the time. We would say slavery is immoral. Yeah. Slavery ought to be illegal yeah. because it's immoral. Well, I mean, this really has become the flashpoint, I, mm -hmm. I think, in the public life if you're a Catholic. And I'd like to know when will the bishops speak truth to power and say, look, mm -hmm. enough, stop it. I, I recently uh, wrote a piece for a crisis, uh, uh, and uh, the lead paragraph was about uh, Fulton Sheen calling up Haywood Brune, who was a, a pretty cynical journalist back in the 1930s, and saying, you know, I want to talk to you. And, and Brune said in a pretty gruff way, what about? And he said, your soul, mm -hmm. because you are imperiling it by the positions you take. Now, that took courage, mm -hmm. a kind of nerve. I'd like to see that replicated. And by the way, in Haywood Brune's autobiography, he recounts that and why it was the catalyst for his conversion. Ah. Mm -hmm. He converted near the end of his life mm -hmm. yeah. through the influence of Fulton Sheen. You never know what kind mm -hmm. of seed sure, you sure, sow sure. when you take right. a step boldly and share that kind of eternal perspective. Mm -hmm. sure. You know, I do think that politicians ought to learn a crafty stealth so they're not always just in your face with their religion. And if it's authentic holiness, it's going to be contagious. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be the first paragraph in your mm -hmm. speech. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, I can't help but think that going back to the metaphor of the stage, that we find ourselves in a real predicament as Catholics because there are so many Catholics out there in public life, but it's almost as though we're doing, you know, they've got one script, we've got another. How does this proceed? You know, yeah. you're, you're mouthing lines that are fundamentally at odds with everything you profess. Mm -hmm. when you're there. And so I just want to say, time out, you know, mm -hmm. let's get on the same page. No, let's get the same script. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think it's diabolical. It's exactly what the evil one wants to do, is, is if he can cause we who are supposed to be united to be mm -hmm. separated, and we as Catholics can't even agree yeah. anymore. He's, so 
a couple more thoughts. Yeah, um, well, just, no, just yeah. to your point about the bishops, um, Archbishop uh, Cordelion yes. actually came out with a very strong right, statement right. towards Nancy Pelosi, who's within his diocese. But when will they pull the plug on their access to the Eucharist, which is the most obvious mm -hmm. sign of unity? I think they do that first privately, and he yeah. has, he has um, made statements that suggest he's willing to do that in the course of right. a conversation, and I know bishops who have done it, mm -hmm. yeah. but we have other bishops who right. are in very prominent sure, places sure. that are not willing to, which is a problem. It's confusing, sure. it's demoralizing. And when you, so kind of as yeah. we're, we're beginning to wrap up, when you're looking at the landscape, what are some threats that you see coming? What are going to be the major issues in the next year, two years, five years coming down the road? Yeah, one of the, um, just a, in a conceptual level, is the clash between religious liberty and the claimed rights to um, self-definition gender identity, the LGBTQ causes, which are now uh, being labeled as, as human rights and, and civil rights. And so there's a clash between the rights of religious people to live our faith, to even speak the truth. Mm -hmm. If, if mm -hmm. I see you, you're a man. Uh, doesn't matter to me whether you identify as a woman. The truth is you're a man, and right. I should be able to say that. Right. And, and yet, we're going to see in the law, and in fact, we've seen already in terms of the uh, executive order that mm -hmm. came out from uh, President Biden, there is going to be pressure and pressure brought even by private groups, um, corporations, to change how we speak. And when you change the language, you change how people think. Yeah, it's just extraordinary. I mean, biology has mm -hmm. become a form of bigotry. Yeah, whatever exactly. happened to follow the follow science. science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I received an email mm -hmm. just recently, and it, below it, it said preferred pronouns. About, yeah. and it's just, and I, I also read an article recently related to the whole transition therapy and how that what that's going to do with women's athletics and in you know, something like the top 300 boys could be the best female runners in the world and and the impact that this is going to have and how this is going to be fought and, and debated and how does somebody step into that? Yeah, so one, we have to be bold and speak the truth. And it's it's interesting because on the transgender issue, the truth about the human person is something that's accessible to reason, right? right. And so I, I know atheist biologists mm -hmm. who are taking a stand and saying, no, there are fundamental differences between males and females. Yeah. But what is going to challenge us as believers as a result of this um, clash is that in educational settings, in healthcare settings, we're going to see uh, people who say, as a matter of conscience, I'm not taking a, a healthy uterus out of a 17-year-old right, girl right, right. because she thinks she's a boy and right, wants right. wants to be rid of that, I can't do that. Right. And that's against my faith as well as my medical judgment. But there's going to be pressure, there already is sure. pressure to have people do that. Sure. You've pointed out that, you know, we can expect certain victories in the courts. Mm -hmm. But that's a kind of safety net. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just depend upon, okay, we got a decision on our side, you know, thank you for the predecessor, you know, who was there before Biden. Uh, I think we have to recognize that we need to raise up Catholic young people who are going to go into science, medicine, yeah. law, and, and, 
and not just theology, as much as I love that myself, right, you know, right. but the uh, the need, especially for doctors, would you speak mm -hmm. to that? Yeah, exactly right, because healthcare is gonna become a very contested space. Right. And unfortunately, doctors who are not ethically grounded or medical care professionals who are not ethically grounded are gonna be swept away over that waterfall, mm -hmm. right, into doing things that are um, detrimental to the human person but that are gonna elicit their cooperation in repressing others' religious um, beliefs. So we need grounded, Christian, you know, Catholic yeah, um, healthcare professionals. The other, the other thing that we're, we really have to do is figure out um, how to build up the Catholic education system, right. certainly yeah. at the university level, but you know, K through 12, Absolutely. because the majority of kids are being educated in public schools and they are being taught this lie about who they are. Yeah. And so as a, a matter of faith, we want, our kids have to know who they are. They have to know who God is. Even in Catholic schools, you'll find that uh, uh, it's not 50%, a majority of kids in Catholic schools in many areas will buy into that and mm. speak in favor of it in the classroom mm -hmm. and even in private conversations mm. as yeah. well. You know, if, if our ancestors could just take a peek at how <laughs> things are going today, I mean, they would be mystified yeah. uh, because the truth of biology is so transparent. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Boys and girls are different. Right. It's a function of nature. And if you can't see it, then your obtuseness really prevents you from saying anything at all. Mm -hmm. right. we, we need to revive, I think, what Leon, Leon on Cass calls the, the wisdom of repugnance. I mean, an instinctive, spontaneous reaction to this transgender nonsense. Mm -hmm. it, it's repulsive, mm -hmm. stomach turning. You can't do this to a human being. Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't you know? Right, and you know, while I think religious liberty, to your point originally, as we litigate some of these cases, I think we will get some good decisions because we have a good Supreme Court on this issue. However, it takes three, four, five years. And in the meantime, you will have this these lies becoming woven into the fabric of the culture. Well, speaking of lies, I mean, here's a stunning example. I mean, people dismiss Coney uh, Barrett because she's a devout Catholic, mm -hmm. but they extol Biden because mm -hmm. he's a devout Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I right, mean, right. it depends which side of the fence yeah. and I you're think sitting that's where on. It's important is, is the, the legal aspect is gonna be important, so we mm -hmm. can't dismiss that, but it, it's the social pressure and the mm -hmm. social atmosphere that we're having, particularly young people that are being yeah. just inculcated in that. And it's it becomes every television show, uh, every oh, yeah. musician, every time they look at the Grammys, every it's just yeah. total concern. Yeah, and the social media is just, it, it's pervasive and to the point that it's so hard for parents to keep up with. Mm -hmm. But yet, kids are being indoctrinated, not into just an ideology, a false religion. Absolutely. Yeah. Through this. It's a dogma. It is, and you would never... With a magisterium. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Dogma, yeah. And, and so we have to be very protective about that, but realize that's exactly what it's doing. It's a catechesis in a false vision of who we are with no, no creator, you, you define yourself. Yeah. And so we have to teach the truth. We have to encourage our people to be bold. Yeah. Our educational efforts are mm -hmm. absolutely key. Mm -hmm. So law is important, but all of this stuff has to, to happen beforehand because it will yeah. take so long. You know, uh, in, in the ancient world, when young Romans converted, girls and boys, they discovered something that they no longer belonged to mm. the society. 
because it was pagan of, and, and barbaric. They didn't belong to their parents. They belonged to Christ. And this was the source of their identity and their mm -hmm. power and their joy. And nobody could take that from yeah. them. Yeah. That's what we need to try and uh, yeah. revive. Yeah. You know, Who two, are you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Famously, back in the 70s, two bank robbers in Sweden held hostages, four or five, for almost a week. And when finally the tear gas came and they captured the, uh, the robbers in the trial, everybody was shocked that the hostages were speaking out in favor, you know, mm -hmm. of the bank robbers and thus Stockholm syndrome entered mm -hmm. our vocabulary. I think people internalize, you know, the mentality of their captors in ways that aren't fully conscious and yet they can be quite extensive. And so mm -hmm. this idea of re-education, you know, or true education from mm -hmm. K through 12, as well as Catholic yeah. higher education. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a sine qua non. Without this, we don't have a, a chance, exactly. but, but we have an opportunity and we have to seize it. And uh, I, I think in the post COVID situation, we have to form a counterculture that is really joyful but also highly contagious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you're right, it's an opportunity. Yeah, This I is know. an opportunity. I was stuck by the image, I think it was March 29th when the Holy Father had the mm. holy hour, yeah. and that's, that was the fundamental thing, was that this is an opportunity for us to reevaluate what matters most, what's yeah. important, and I think we're seeing this. Yeah, never allow a crisis to go to waste. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's but, give new meaning to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my concern is, is is have we done that? No, you know, no, have, have we done that? Have we been able to take a look and really understand the impact that the pandemic has had on young people, uh, on anybody, actually uh, young people and elderly, and how mm -hmm. isolating it's become? Right. And, and basic relationships and community has just been devastated. Alcoholism, mm -hmm. uh, abuse, domestic abuse, it's just been, it's been profoundly destructive. So, great. Up next, our panelists and our guests will share their final thoughts on religious liberty. Stay with us. So in other countries, people are persecuted for their beliefs, whereas in the United States, we have our religious liberty based off of our constitution. And so we actually are lackadaisical and won't stand up for our beliefs, where in other countries, people are willing to die for their beliefs. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment, so Regis, would you like to start us off with yeah, your final uh, thoughts? Yeah, let me begin by thanking you so much for coming. Uh, I only realized uh, a couple of moments before that you are the daughter of the late Charlie Rice, uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary man. Uh, no end of admiration uh, and gratitude for what he has done. Uh, so I, I can understand uh, that he shaped you in a decisive mm -hmm. way. Uh, it gives me confidence that maybe the bishops will take counsel with you <laughs> and, and change direction. I'll, I'll wait and, and see. In the meantime, uh, let me just make this observation. I was reading, uh, rereading uh, Tacitus uh, the other day, the annals of the early Roman Empire, and he has this, this blinding insight. He says, the thing that makes Rome a city 
is not the nobility of the emperor, not uh, the strength of the army, not the justice of the constitution, or even the vitality of the marketplace, but the temples of the gods. And that's at the level of nature. Man is naturally drawn to God. Worship, homage, praise. This is part of the structure of the human person. Uh, and it's a function of nature, natural justice, that we give honor to God. And we have religious liberty in order to do that. So there's a limit to what the state can and cannot do. And we need to be, I think, a little more intentional, a little more courageous uh, in insisting upon where those lines need to be drawn. And I'm glad that someone like you is uh, spearheading that effort. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Dante. Scott. I'm, I'm reminded of the educational power of worship and how sometimes our opponents recognize that perhaps more than we do. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the need for education, that's also something that God does through worship. Mm -hmm. and, and so in the liturgy, with the Eucharist especially, and, and I think that Catholics have got to recognize the need right now to be forming the next generation in that area as well. Joyful worship. Now, I'm reminded of how it is that people always act on the basis of what they think is right. And so forming them in terms of what is right is more important than dinner tonight, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite players uh, was a Viking defensive end, Jim Marshall, who broke all kinds of records in the NFL over more than 20 years. But he's most famous for picking up a fumble from the 49er running back, Billy Kilmer, and running it back 66 yards to the end zone, celebrating it, tossing it in the air, and giving the 49ers a safety because he ran the wrong way. You know, it's the famous wrong way run, you know? And that's what he's, that's what probably is why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And he wasn't betraying his teammates. It wasn't treasonous. It was simply him acting on the basis of what he thought he was right. You know, fortunately he won the game. But I mean, I think that, you know, in the football field of life, we have got to recognize that even if we get thrown for a loss, you know, or gain only one yard or have to punt, we want to advance the ball in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And what is that? I think people have, especially young people, have lost their sense of direction. So formation, education, worship, evangelization, catechesis. I mean, I would put all of my money in those stocks right now, regardless of the, the dividends and the payoff. But thank you for your noble effort, you know, and Seamus too, your amazing husband and your father. It's just a it's great to see this legacy is not only still alive, but it's also flourishing. Amen. Great. Again, thank you so much, Mary. Your final thoughts. Uh, there was a priest who said in the midst of all the COVID um, government restrictions on, on worship, he said, I'm not surprised that the government terms religious worship as non-essential. What troubles me is that so many Catholics do. Yeah. And I, I think that's a challenge that even as we look at religious liberty and we look at the public sphere, there are battles to be fought, there are, are cases to be litigated, there are, are laws to be challenged. And yet what it comes down to at heart is us knowing who we are. We're made by God. We're his creatures. We're called to worship him. And to be that person, to be bold, to be authentic, to be visible, yeah. Not to allow ourselves yeah. to be erased from and, or put in a, you know, a, a tiny corner of society and to be who we are and, and unafraid of the gospel, that that's where religious liberty begins with us exercising it yes. and, and leave the rest to the lawyers. But we have to live it first and form that next yeah. generation. So. Can I, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to break normal tradition here. 
Uh, a sign of hope. Can you just give us a sign of hope that when you look out, because there's so many difficult things, but a sign of hope that you see. It's that in, in times of need, people are searching. They're looking for meaning, right. and, and they're open in a way that sometimes prosperity and, and no challenges uh, can close a heart. So I think this is a time of opportunity. You don't move into that. Great. Thank you so much, Mary. Uh, if you would like to learn more about today's topic, we have an article that Mary wrote called Do, Cath Do Catholic Hospitals Discriminate by Mary Rice and Mary Rice Hassan. And it addresses one of the aspects that we've talk been talking about today. And it's yours free if you simply go online to faithandreason.com or call the number that you're going to see in the bottom of the screen in just a moment. Uh, again, Mary, I just want to thank you so much you. for your being with us this morning. It's a, a topic that I've found myself interested in. I actually studied law a little bit and ended up getting a law degree. And one of the things that I remembered was they said it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It actually matters what other people say about the Constitution. <laughs> right. and, and it's just in, in, uh, something that I've, I've studied and looked at and prayed about and thought about. But what I loved about our conversation today was that's, that's a part of it. But I want to just take us back to the most important thing, that religious liberty isn't something that the government grants us. In the government's generosity, it allows us. That's just, that's not the way it is. And that ultimately it comes from God. And my concern is, is that we are looking towards the government to fix it, or we're looking towards the Supreme Court. Finally, we've got a Supreme Court, so everything, that simply isn't the case. Right. And ultimately what it's going to come down to is the individual's heart. I remember a book, I don't recall the name, I'm sure you guys remember, uh, by George Weigel. He said, when we take a look at what's taken place over the last many years, uh, fundamentally it's been a breakdown in discipleship, that, that that's, that's where we failed. And because of that, a disciple isn't a witness, isn't giving witness to truth and beauty and goodness. And because of that, we've lost all credibility in the eyes of the world, in the secular world. And as I stated earlier, what, what at once was seen, the church was this rock of of hope and, 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 and being able to fix things and bring truth and reason for a vast population of people, we see that they we're seen as part of the problem. So as, as we wrap up, I think one of the things that I'm praying for is courage, is that we live in a world that simply by saying things and by not using the right word, the, the whole weight of, of social media and the media and, and pressure that comes down on us. But what we need is men and women who will be disciples, men and women who are going to love Jesus and put him in the center of their life, who are going to stand about what's true, uh, regardless of what happens. There's going to be debate. There's going to be people that come against. People are going to, yeah, people are going to lose <laughs> jobs, and things are going to be taken away from them. But when the church is her best is when she's willing to do that. So exactly what you said is, yeah. is that there are going to be men and women who are going to stand up for what is true and what is right and what is beautiful. So um, we have a lot to look forward to and a lot to get ready for. Amen? Amen. So why don't we pray for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call that you've placed on our life. We thank you for Mary's visit with us today. Uh, bless her and her ministry. Bless her family. Lord, we pray for our country that you would uh, send forth your grace and your blessing and your peace. Jesus, we pray that hearts would be turned. Uh, not just the hearts of our politicians and our judges, but the hearts of all people. In this time of great crisis, in a time of a profound void, that you will fill that void. We thank you for your blessing and your grace and your mercy. May Almighty God pour out his blessings on you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com.
where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu. Or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800-783-6447.